0: Our text this morning is going to be found in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look this morning at verses 17 through 24. Here's God's word for us today. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you... Excuse me here. This I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray together, friends. Lord God, here we stand and it has been a joy to sing of your grace. It is a joy to to sing of your goodness. It is a joy to think of the Lord Jesus Christ who came, who lived, who died, who rose for our redemption. And yet, Lord, here we are, still rebels, still in need of your teaching and your grace. We would ask you that, Lord, this morning, that you would please work in us. Well, just what the text said, that putting on of a new self, a new, obedient, growing us. God, make this message something far greater than I could ever make it be. Empower it with your spirit that we might hear your word and be changed. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Pardon me. Sometimes as a parent, I have found myself saying things that do not make any sense given the circumstances. For example, one of my children may misbehave. This is all hypothetical, by the way. My, my children would never do that. But just pretending with me. It's kind of like that hypothetical burrito from Sunday school class, y'all. One of my children will misbehave. Perhaps it is to speak in a mean way to a sibling And I've got to get involved, and there have been times when this has happened that I hypothetically have said to the offending child, we don't talk like that. Now, why would I call that an example of a thing that does not make sense? Well, obviously, my child just did talk like that, right? So if I say, we don't do that, I'm quite clearly mistaken. But if you've ever said a thing like that, even though it doesn't make sense, you know what I'm after, right? When I say to a child, we don't talk like that, I'm not saying it never happens. What I'm saying is that talking like that, being mean to your brother or your sister, is not okay. Talking like that is inconsistent with the standard of our family. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm saying, cut it out! Because talking like that is not who we are supposed to be. How about you? Have you ever behaved badly, been caught at it, and said something like, oh, that's not who I am? Have you ever done a thing And even as you are doing it, you say to yourself or to someone else, I never do this thing. If so, you understand. What you're suggesting is that your present behavior does not match the reality of your character. But what do you want to say often to a person who behaves in one way and then declares that not to be who they are. I think we often want to remind people that we display who we are by what we do. We want to tell somebody, if that's not who you are, don't act like it is. If you're not a mean person, don't speak in a mean way. If you're not a selfish person, don't behave selfishly. If you're not a liar, tell the truth. If you're not a cheater, don't cheat, right? Are you a Christian? If you say that you are, you are saying that you have already surrendered your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ as you have come to him for, faith, or for forgiveness in faith. Right. If you are a Christian, God is clear that he has already made you into a new creation, a forgiven child of God. But if you're a Christian, you also know that our lives at present do not always match the reality of what God tells us we now are. You ever have trouble having your life match the reality of your new name in Christ? This morning, we're going to look at a text that reminds us to live out who we truly are in Christ. This text will remind us of who we used to be. It'll remind us of the gospel that changed us. And it will call us to put on a life that matches a new identity that we have in Christ. So if you're a note taker, I want you to make room for three main points. There'll be some sub points. But let's walk through this together. And we're going to hear the call to put on your new self. Put on your new self. And as he said last night, I'm not persecuting Doug when I say put on a new self. It's a different thing. And if you know that Doug's last name is self, you'll get that joke. Otherwise, you won't, and that's okay. As we get started, though, let's remember where we've been. We have seen the glorious mystery of the gospel in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Do you guys remember back so far as when we were teaching through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3? Does that feel like a long time ago? It's been a little while. Well, chapter 4, we started it, the new year, and we saw Paul urge us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called And the first way that we are to walk worthy of the call is to preserve the unity of the local church and to fulfill our calling to serve the church and help the church grow. Now, we're going to see Paul shift a little bit and he's going to call us to put on a character that fits the calling to which we're called. So our first point this morning you're ready for it, is to break from your past. Point number one, break from your past. Look at verse 17. It says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. We're entering a new section a new thought for how we walk worthy of the calling. And we need to see right away, friends, that God is letting you and me know that what he's about to say is really important. Look at the language from Paul in verse 17. This I say and testify in the Lord. Paul's hitting you hard here if you can't hear it. This thing is important. This thing comes from Paul, an apostle authorized by God to write God's word. This, Paul not only says, but testifies. He's bearing witness to the fact that this is from the Lord. Your ears should perk up. Your Christian heart needs to be ready to obey. And Paul tells the people they must no longer walk As the Gentiles do. And that contrasts with the call to walk worthy of your calling in chapter 4 verse 1. The Ephesians are not to walk like the Gentiles around them. Now wait a minute. You might say if you've been paying attention since last year. The Ephesians are Gentiles. Right? And in chapter 2. Paul spent 12 verses, verses 11 to 22, to remind us that in Christ, the glorious mystery is there is no longer a division between Jew and Gentile. We are all the saved one new people in God, the people of Christ. We're not Jews or Gentiles anymore. So what gives, Paul? Well... In an instance like this, Paul is telling the Ephesians, Gentiles by birth, Gentiles by their ethnicity, not to live according to the Gentile culture that surrounds them. That's what he's after here. Because there were some cultural and societal differences between Jews and their pagan neighbors. By the time of Jesus... The the Jews weren't worshiping idols the way the Gentiles were. The Jews weren't participating in some of the evil rituals that were happening in, in and around Ephesus. So Paul is saying, hey, don't act like those guys, because the Gentiles in and around Ephesus, they participated in idolatry. The evil religions of Ephesus and those surrounding cities, they included temple prostitution. They included sexual immorality as acts of their religious devotion. This was evil stuff. The Gentiles around the Ephesians were known for all sorts of evils that weren't present in the Jewish community that day. And so it makes sense that Paul says to the Ephesians, don't model the sinful life and lifestyle of the Gentiles. Don't live incorporating into your life the practices and thinking of your neighbors. So no, Paul is not telling the Ephesians to become Jews. Neither is Paul pretending that in Christ there is any difference between a Jew or a Gentile. Paul is just telling the people of Ephesus, do not live like the evil community that surrounds you. And particularly here, Paul says that the Gentiles around them, to the Ephesians, the Gentiles that lived around them, live in the futility of their minds. There's something in the way that the Gentiles thought or reasoned that was vain, that was empty, that was futile, that was meaningless. It was a dangerous thing. And Paul wants the Ephesian Christians to know they must not allow themselves to adopt the empty, false wisdom of their culture. Back in chapter 2, Paul said the Ephesians, before they were saved were dead in their sins. Remember that? They followed the world. They followed the flesh. They followed the devil. And Paul says to the Ephesians, do not fall for the temptation to return to following the world, the flesh, and the devil. You are to break from your sinful past by breaking, by breaking away from empty, useless, worldly reasoning now we're going to look further to see how God describes for us the minds and the actions of the lost world around us but even before we finish this point I want you to understand this Christian this is about reminding you not to let yourself fall into worldly thinking and worldly practices that's what this is about okay You used to be subject to those things when you were lost. But in Christ, these should not be who you are. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to say to you that the verses of Scripture we're about to read, they're going to say some pretty hard things about the way people around us think and live. And if you don't yet know Jesus, I want you to let these verses show you how desperately you need God's forgiveness. Let them call you to run to Jesus to find salvation. Now first, if you wanted to make these subpoints, you can, it's up to you. First, we're going to see that we are to break from our past by breaking away from evil thinking. Break away from your past by breaking away from evil thinking. Look at verse 18, it says, "They are darkened in their understanding." Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. How's that for a sweet verse? God says to us, and get gay and Christians, have your ears perked up here sinful people, the unredeemed, are darkened in their thinking. Something about not knowing God, not being regenerated by God darkens a person's understanding. Something about living without the Spirit of God, going against God, loving sin instead of God leads people to have problems understanding reality. Let me ask you, can you see A world around you, I know you don't live in Ephesus, but can you see a world around you darkened in its understanding? What else would you call it when we have a nation of people who no longer understand whether a person is a man or a woman? Is that not darkened in their understanding? What do you call it when we as a people do not consider a growing baby a human being? What else do we call it when we as a people cannot remember what marriage is? What else will we call it when we pretend that a person cannot contribute to a discussion of truth if they're not of a particular skin color or economic background? All of those things all around us in our society show us that our society is darkened in their understanding. What do you call it when you have a culture that screams for the protection of women and then has people behave like strippers at a Super Bowl halftime show? I'm not even meaning to be funny at all. Is that not darkened in their understanding? And Paul also tells us that the lost are alienated from the life of God. Something in our sinful thinking and something in our sinful practices separates people from God. And we should want to run to God. We should want to get under the grace of God. But instead, people battle God and act as if they're God's enemies and refuse the kindness of God. They are alienated from the life of God, earning judgment and death instead of, instead of gaining eternal life and eternal joy. But I want you to notice this before you start saying, oh, the poor b- things. Notice that our ignorance is not an innocent lack of knowledge. Look at verse 18, the ignorance Of the rebel against God, their darkened thinking is caused by his or her hardness of heart. There's a cycle here, folks. This sinfully hard heart leads to greater ignorance of God and greater warping of your thinking. And the more your thinking is warped, the more you have a hardened heart. And this increasing warping of the mind leading to greater rebellion against the Lord, leading to greater warping of the mind is the state of what the Bible says is the state of everyone who does not have the Savior. Now, again, please understand me here. I'm not saying unbelievers don't have intelligence. The common grace of God has enabled all kinds of people to be great at art, at philosophy, at science, at music, at medicine, all sorts of other things that keep the world functioning. That is the good, kind hand of God. But you've got to get this if you're going to understand the word of God, Christians, when it comes to the things of God and when it comes to true morality, the person who does not know Jesus is darkened in his understanding alienated from the life of God, ignorant of what is good, hardened in his heart. And that is not my opinion. That's not a thought of my own making because I want to feel good about myself. That is perfect, holy scripture, the word of Almighty God. Now let's look further at the hardness of heart the lost develop. And you're going to see another part of your past you're supposed to break away from you are also to break from evil practices as well as evil thinking. Break from evil practices. Look at verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Y'all know hardness of heart leads to a darkened understanding of rebels against God. Here we see a set of things that come from that. You're callous. What is callous? You guys know what calluses are, right? Some of you have calluses. Any guitar players in the room? If you're a guitar player, you get calluses right here on your fingers. So you don't feel these sharp little strings digging into them. Callous means that you're hardened to the point that you're unfeeling. Unfeeling. And as time goes by, as people live in their sin and in their darkened understanding, they lose the ability to feel proper shame and sorrow over the things that are evil. You see that in our world? Paul also says that the lost, the people that Christians are not supposed to emulate, have given themselves up to sensuality. The word for sensuality, it means a chasing after pleasure and experience. It's a physical word. It often is used of sexual immorality. And the last thing Paul says, not only given up to sensuality, but they're greedy to practice all kinds of impurity. See, because these people are callous, because they're sensual, they are hungry to chase after more and more and more immorality. They try to make it bigger and darker. Now, the picture Paul is painting here is one that is very ugly. The person who opposes God is darkened in his or her thinking, and that darkness in, heart, in, in, it, it, dark, darkness in their mind leads to a hardening of their heart, and the hardening of the heart leads to greater darkness in thought and greater embracing and chasing after more immorality. And in case you think this is a one-time occurrence in Scripture, this looks a great deal like what you see in Romans chapter 1. I want you to flip there because I'm going to read a section of that, and I just want you to see it with your eyes. Romans chapter 1, starting around verse 18. It's so funny how I can hear how many of you have paper Bibles and how many of you don't at this point. Just Have you found it, Romans 1? It's only a couple books to the left. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Sound familiar? For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Does the sinner have an excuse? No. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but, watch this, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, Deceit, maliciousness, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's an ugly picture, wouldn't you say? That doesn't need preaching even, does it? And that passage looks a great deal like our world, doesn't it? people turn away from and rebel against the Lord they deny truth and as a result they face the judgment of God but the judgment of God upon them is not what many would expect the judgment here is that God allows them to become exactly what they want to be God gives these people over, giving them freedom to turn to the evil they desire. That, by the way, friends, is always the natural result of human free will. We need God to invade our freedom to make us alive to want Him. Otherwise, God giving us over to our evil desires is the result of our sinful freedom. Their hearts grow hard. Their minds become warped. They are given to sexual immorality. They begin to embrace homosexuality. They are turned to all sorts of harshness and cruelty and meanness. And in the end, they become so confused that they give hearty approval to everyone who practices things that God says are evil. And Christians, you can flip back to Ephesians now, these are the things that God says you and I are not to do. We are not to walk like the Gentiles. We are not to let our minds be darkened. We are not to embrace sensuality and immorality. And as the letter continues here in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, we're going to see how to avoid many of those sorts of things. But Christian, what God wants you to grasp right now is that this kind of darkened thinking and evil practice marks the world around you. Is that true that this marks the world around you? Do you see it? It used to mark you before you were saved. Do you get that? You were given to evil thinking. You were darkened in your mind. Many of us were given over to all sorts of evil behaviors. And God wants us to remember that in Christ, we are to break from that past Yes, remember who you used to be so you will give God thanks properly for grace, but turn from who you used to be as this is not to still be true of you. Break from your past. With me still? Second point then. Remember your salvation. We needed some grace, right? Look at verse 20 and 21. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So all the ugly stuff we just saw, none of that stuff that we just saw is stuff that points you to Jesus. Bad thinking, warped minds, sensual behavior, sexual immorality, those things are never what bring a person closer to God. They blind you. They keep you away from the Lord. They are not how you learned or came to know Jesus. So how do you get to know God? Paul says he knows the Ephesians heard him and were taught in him. This is good because to know Jesus is to avoid the darkened mind and to find truth because the truth is in Jesus. Because when Jesus said, I am the way and what? Jesus said, I'm the truth. If you want to know what truth is, you got to find it in Jesus. You come to know Jesus when you hear the good news, right? Right? You come to know Jesus when you hear the message of salvation and you come to him in faith. Back in Ephesians 2, Paul said that the Ephesians used to be dead in their sins, but God made them alive in Christ. How did he do that? They were saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. God did all the work, folks. The Ephesians responded to God's word by believing in Jesus and entrusting their souls to Christ and his saving grace. And His saving work. We're sinful people. We saw that in point one enough, didn't we? God, the holy just creator, has every right to destroy every last one of us. Not one of us deserves for God even to give us a chance. We are rebels against God. We have already spat in God's face and turned our backs on Him and turned our backs on His ways. Every one of us had that in us. We have done this through our sin. We have done it through failing to live up to God's perfect standard. Let me ask, have you ever messed up even once? If so, you have fallen infinitely short of God's perfection. And that is enough to earn us a forever death sentence. But God has been so gracious. God the Father sent Jesus, God the Son, to the earth to rescue a people for God. God wanted to display both his perfect justice and his great mercy. As God in the flesh, Jesus lived a truly human life of absolute perfection. Then Jesus died as an infinitely worthy sacrifice, taking upon himself the proper punishment for every sin God ever forgives. Jesus died like a sacrificial lamb and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then on the third day after his death, Jesus rose from the grave, and he proved by that he could conquer death and that the way to find life in God is through him and him alone. So you want to know Jesus? Believe that you're a sinner. Believe that you need God's mercy. Believe Jesus is God the Son. Believe Jesus died to pay for your sins. Believe Jesus rose from the grave. And when you believe it, Surrender, turn away from living for sin and self, spiritually run to Jesus and throw yourself on his mercy. Ask him, Jesus, please forgive me and be the master of my life from this day forward. All who truly repent and believe in Jesus will be saved. And Paul told the Ephesians, Y'all didn't learn Jesus through evil practices and sensuality. You learned Jesus when you heard about him and were taught in him. You never once got closer to God by sinful thinking or sinful living. But you've gotten closer to God when you heard about Jesus, believed in Jesus, and were taught by God's word to follow Jesus. So remember the gospel. Remember how you came to faith. And that'll help you put off your old self. And then what does it look like when we are taught in the truth of Jesus? That's going to come in our final point this morning, point number three. Live out your new life in Christ. Live out your new life in Christ. Look at verses 22 to 24. Oh dear. You were taught in Him To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through sinful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the final section for today. But we're going to see three things in it. This could be a three-point sermon all to itself, but you probably don't have time for that. The Greek grammar in this section tells us that the three things, they are already accomplished, and at the same time, these are things that you and I are to continue to do. We saw it earlier in the chapter, right? That The church is a unity, and yet you and I are to work to preserve the church's unity. Here, we are to live in accord with what is true of us in Christ. So first, in Christ, you have put off the old self. When the you who was dead in sins and transgressions was made alive to Jesus, the old you died. And there's a new you that lives in Christ. The old you was corrupt through deceitful desires. Your old mind was warped by worldly thinking and uh, apart from the word of God and apart from the spirit of God. And the language of putting off the old self here, go ahead and let yourself have a picture of someone taking off or yourself taking off a dirty garment, right? Imagine... For some sad reason, you had to work all day in a nasty ditch, just full of filth. You had work to do, and it gets you nasty. Your clothes are gross by the end of the day. Once you finish the job, you put off those clothes, right? You, you look forward to not being covered with mess. Have any of y'all ever done one of those like week-long camping backpacking deals? Yeah, you, some of you are going, thank goodness, no. <laughs> I, I remember doing one one time, and man, we were, we were in the lakes, and we were rock climbing, and we were rappelling, and we were hiking somewhere like eight, eight miles a day sometimes, 12 miles in, in a day, and we'd set up our, our, our camp, and we'd do it again, and we would do a ropes course, and we'd do all this kind of stuff, and we were outside. We spent a whole week in Illinois July weather. So I'm, I'm, I remember us walking back to the, like the place where we started from and it was a 98 degree day with like 75% humidity heat index of 115. That's nasty. And we'd been in woods and there were bugs and there were ticks and there were things biting us. And you know what we got to do when we got done? We got to go to the shower. That's the best shower. It was just a glorious, glorious experience to have that shower we didn't have hot water we did not need it we did not care it was a glorious moment it was good to put off those nasty nasty jeans we'd been wearing and to be clean god says that when we came to christ we put off our old selves and he's reminding us that you want to continue to live putting off the old self. You don't want to put your dirty clothes back on. You're to turn from evil and worldly thinking. you were to let the word of God be your supreme standard for how you think and how you live. Not the thinking of the world. You turn your back on the warped standards of a society that does not know the Lord. And you fight not to let yourself behave in the sinful ways you used to live. Second... Paul says we were taught to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Your mind, again, my mind, we were corrupt apart from Christ. And when we came to faith, God gave us new minds, changed minds, minds not warped like your mind used to be. And now that we're believers, we are to regularly fight to continue to have your mind renewed. And how do you do it? You stop filling your mind with the rationale of the world around you. You must not let yourself think like the world. You stop embracing the standards that society says, oh, that's normal. You stop mentally letting yourself end up on what the lost claim to be the right side of history And you renew your mind by filling your mind with the Word and the ways of Almighty God. You study the Word. You submit to the Word. You embrace the Word. You sing the Word. You memorize the Word. You surround yourself with people who love the Word. You battle for a better biblical brain. And third, Paul says that when we came to faith, we put on the new self. If you took off your dirty clothes by putting off the old self, if your mind is renewed and cleaned up by Jesus, you don't then respond by putting your dirty clothes back on. You wear a new garment, a new life, a new thinking, a new behaving. And your new self is created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. See, as a believer, you know what you're supposed to look like? You're supposed to look like the God who saved you. You are to be pure in how you live. You are to be pure in how you think. You are to be pure in how you think toward God. We are to be just and righteous in our dealings with other people. That is the self you put on when you're saved. And this is the self that we are to continue putting on even when we walk in a hard world. Now guys, as we keep studying Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6, we're going to see Paul unpack for us in detail ways to change your thinking and behavior so to live in a way that God called you to live, walking worthy of the calling. You're going to see things to put off, sinful practices and thoughts you've got to leave behind. And Paul's also going to show you new ways of thinking and new ways of living to match your new life as a Christian. And guys, I've got to tell you, I am actually really excited about where we get to go in this book over the next couple months, but we can't go there today day so what do you do with what the Lord has said to you break from your past understand what the Bible says about the thinking and the behaviors of the lost world around you the minds of the ungodly the Bible says are darkened the hearts of the ungodly are hardened And so you must not let yourself be convinced even by their reasoning. The world around us embraces immorality in way too many forms for me to start listing for you. We've got to turn from it all. We cannot live like the world. We cannot think like the world. Now, before you let that make you arrogant what I just said, Before you start looking down on the world around you, remember that this is not just a them problem, this is who you were, and sadly this is often who you are still tempted to be. So be kind, be gracious, but be firm. Hate evil. Didn't you hear that in the psalm that Dennis read for us this morning? Sometimes you hear that word and it rings out in your ears. Hate evil. Break from evil. Be firm against evil. Show that evil is evil. Let, let not the evil that used to define your thinking and living continue to define you. And remember the gospel. The only thing that got you out of a darkened mind and a hard heart and sinful practices is the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So thank Jesus and worship Jesus and let the gospel remind you how much you want to live for Jesus. And Christians, live out your new life in Christ. Keep putting off your old self. Keep renewing your mind in the word of God with the practices that honor the Lord. Keep putting on the new self in thought, in action, in holiness, and righteousness. The battle is hard, but Christian, remember Christ has already changed you. And remember that when you were saved, you told Jesus you would follow him with every last part of your life. Remember, when you were baptized, when you were lowered into the water and raised up out of the water, you declared that to the Lord and to everyone watching that you died and a new you lives. Pray to live and fight to be the person God has already declared you to be. And if you don't yet know Jesus, I urge you turn away from worldly thinking. Embrace Jesus and find salvation. You cannot be right with God in any other way. So why not surrender to Jesus and find new life in Jesus today? Let's pray together, friends.